Hello, everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. My name is Joe Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by Jordan Angeli. Jordan, I feel like you and I are maybe two of the only people that didn't make a move in the MLS transfer window. We're both here. <laughs> How are you? We kind of made a move during the window, and we just were only on Total Soccer. That's show. right. <laughs> and now we're back. So I don't know. You count it however you want to count it. <laughs> I think it was a loan to TSS, and then he didn't pick up uh, our option to buy. So we're back. On just you, not me. <laughs> and I might be back on there a few times this year. But ooh, yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Um, oh yeah, we had fun. Yeah, we had fun doing those back. shows. It is. <laughs> we had fun doing those shows, and it's good to be back now. And I, I alluded to it very aggressively and not at all a subtle way. And between that and the title of this episode, people already know what we're here to do. These are some of my favorite episodes where we go back and look through signings and give people an idea of what their team could look like with player X or player Y. That's what we're talking about today. The MLS transfer window just closed Thursday night, I believe, as a recording on Monday, August 9th. So it's been just a few days. We got to see a few of the moves that were made towards the end of the window and, and see some of those players actually get on the field this past weekend. So we're going to talk a little bit about that for certain players, but we've each picked three guys that we wanted to spotlight. You've got three. I've got three. We're going to go back and forth and talk about what these different players uh, have in their skill sets, what do they have in their bag, and how might they help their new teams. Jordan, would you like to go first? Oh, okay. I was expecting <laughs> that, but yeah, I'll go first. Um, I'm going to stay with one of the um, transfers within MLS sure. to start off with, and it's in the Western Conference. It's San Jose Earthquakes mm. getting Jeremy Abobasi for a little bit of gam, um, $1.167 million baby. in gam. <laughs> yeah. It, at this point, gam kind of just feels like monopoly money, just like throw <laughs> Tam and gam like, here, we've got all this, let's right. throw it around. And I feel like this is a good move. And it was a move that Jeremy Abobasi wanted in the sense that we've talked about him, especially last year, not so much this season, but last season about him being a team player and kind of playing wherever he needed to play in Portland. And that wasn't always at that number nine spot. It was sometimes um, at a winger spot. And this was a move that he wanted within MLS, it sounds like, that he wanted to play the number nine. So he finds himself in San Jose in a system that is a little different than what he played before, but he gets to play in that um, front line, which is really exciting for him as a number nine. He's 24. He started 11 of 13 appearances in uh, this season, four goals for the Timbers. And I feel like this is a good move because Matias Almeida has changed a few things this season, it seems like, and he's still kind of tinkering with a lot of things. The, the, the earthquakes have played in a 3-5-2. They've played in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Um, they've man-marked. They've not man-marked. I feel like they're kind of trying to figure out who they want to be. But um, the interesting thing is they we saw Abobasi get into the game in the 36th minute, which yeah. is a question mark for a <laughs> lot of people. Um, but I think what works for him and his skill set with this Earthquakes team is he is a good player holding the ball up in transition, right? So the Earthquakes win the ball back. They're trying to find an outlet. A Bobasi can be that outlet. And he can be that outlet in a couple different ways as that number nine. He can hold the ball and connect the lines and play backwards and then try to stretch. 
Or he can hold the ball and do what the Earthquakes are very good at, which is dribbling and transitioning in uh, these moments where they can get at the whatever the back line of the opposing team looks like. And then he's really good in the box. And that's that's what Abobasi is known for, right? Scoring goals in Portland, I feel like it was really the beginning of last season. Even in 2019, I I, I don't have his, his numbers in front of me, but his ability to score goals is what he's known for. And I think when you put him into the San Jose team with players like Espinosa, who is one of the top five in assists this season in MLS – you put him in a spot where he's doing what he can do best with a player who can distribute to him and get him into good position. So I think he fits into the system. I think this system is, I don't know what it really is right now. I don't yeah. know if a lot of people yeah. know what it is, but I like the way that this could look and, and to get a player, we've talked about this a lot, happy again and to feel like he's playing the position that he thrives in. That is um, all automatically going to be a confidence boost for him. This feels like a no-brainer move for all three parties, right? If you're Portland, okay, maybe Gio Savarese wasn't so happy about this move, but that's yeah. on you, bro, for not playing him in his spot. So I don't have a lot of sympathy, <laughs> a lot of sympathy there. But it's a, it's a no-brainer move for Abobasi, as you're talking about. He go, he gets to go and play in a different place and get a fresh start to play at a spot that he actually wants to play in. So that's that's huge. For the Timbers, you're getting a chunk of money in return, a pretty good chunk of money uh, by MLS standards, especially for an intra-league move. And then for San Jose, you get a, a really well-rounded number nine. The only area of Abobasi's game, I guess the only two areas of his game that I have some questions, question marks about is his ability to get in behind and really cause problems off the ball. I don't know. He doesn't have a lot of top-end speed. And so I guess... If you think about San Jose's structure, more of that responsibility could go towards Kate Cowell and have him be disorganizing back lines with his movement in behind and, and playing more vertically. And, and so that's one area. And then the other area is I, I just don't think we've seen enough of a Bobasi as a number nine consistently to have a really good feel for how many goals he can score. Yeah. He's, his hold up play is excellent. His movement in the box is really good. His left foot is. It, I, I, last time I checked, he's left footed. Now I'm just having a, a brain blur here, but I'm pretty sure he's left footed. He's a good player. I just want to see him get a run as a nine to see how many goals he can score over an extended period of time. He was playing as a nine earlier this year for Portland because Felipe Mora was off at the Copa America with Chile and Nia Shkoda was out with a knee injury, I believe. So he's getting some minutes and he scored some goals. I just want to see more of that. Overall, though, those questions aside, I think this is a great move for everybody. Yeah, and just what you're mentioning there at the end, that's exactly what I think the Earthquakes are hopeful for, that he can be their player, their starter to play in whatever system he, they they implement, but him as that central player, yeah. game in and game out, with the addition of having players off the bench who can come and support him throughout the game. Um, I think that that is this is going to be a really good move for them and hopefully puts Abobasi in a spot where he does find a little bit of a, a role with the number of games he can start and play and confidence comes from honestly just seeing the ball get in the back of the net and San Jose can be dangerous in yeah. a lot of different ways going forward so I, I think that this could be a really good look for him and, and San Jose have pieces now which is kind of yeah. fun right and, and they, they've had pieces all throughout the season it hasn't been the best year for them but you mentioned Espinosa they have trophies who is not 
not exceptional, but he is smooth on the ball and he can bring it forward and, and find some players further upfield. I really like the idea of, if not that front four with Cal on the left, Ibobasi as the nine and Espinosa on the right and Chofis underneath, at least that front three with those, those three yeah. forwards. I think they complement each other really well. It's a dangerous yeah. look. It's a dangerous look. So yeah, I, I'm excited to see more of Ibobasi in blue and black. Jordan, my move, yes. my first move, we're staying in the Western Conference. We're going north a little bit. Ryan Gault. Vancouver's new number 10, their new playmaker. This has been in the works for what seems like forever. They've been talking about getting a number 10 before the season started, probably even dating back to previous seasons. They finally snagged him. They got him from Farense in Portugal, and they brought him in as a designated player. He scored nine goals, five from penalties, though, so he's not this exceptional goal scorer. But he, he scored a number of different uh, types of goals last year in the Portuguese first division, had seven assists as well. I talked to Graham Ruthven, who's on the Total Soccer Show fairly frequently, along with myself and Taylor and Ryan. I talked with him a little bit about this deal. Graham is Scottish, if you couldn't tell from his accent. And he was telling me that that Ryan Gauld was the most hyped Scottish player of the last two decades, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then he went to Portugal from Scotland and kind of fell off the map a little bit. And as of last season, with a strong year with Firenze, he's kind of popped back up on the map. And Vancouver had been monitoring apparently throughout this entire time. And they swooped in and they got him. This guy has a ton of talent. He's small. He's left-footed. He's, he's about five foot six. He's so quick. He's so technical in tight spaces. Graham called him highly, highly technical, and he also called this move a bit of a coup for the white cap. So I think this move has Graham's Scottish endorsement, and I think it has mine as well. Gald is just this tricky, aggressive, quick, dribbly type of 10. I don't think he's a through ball threader. I think he is a get in your face. He's going to pressure you a little bit defensively. He looks like, he looks like a number 10 that Gerhard Struber would have liked to have, right? With the Red Bulls playing in that. 4-2-2-2 or the 4-4-2 diamond or whatever shape he's using on a game-to-game basis. He just plays so quickly. And Jordan, I can't help but think this is this has been someone the Whitecaps have needed for a long time. Yeah, we've talked about the Whitecaps on and off and just we like Dos Santos and what he can bring to this squad, but it has felt like it just has missed that connecting piece, that, that player that can... Um, link the the midfield with the front line and they've been talking about getting a playmaker for so long in in a way Joe you said he's not a through ball threader do you think that how do you think that helps or hurts this Vancouver squad I mean ideally you want that 10 and I I do think he'll play as a number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 it's mostly been a 4-3-3 this year for Vancouver but I think this is the move they've been waiting for to change that shape. And that was, it was a 4-2-3-1 when Gold came off the bench against the Galaxy on Sunday. So I, I think we'll see that swap. You want your 10 to be as well-rounded as possible. Like if you could combine right. Pozuelo or Reynoso with Ryan Gold's energy, I think you'd have the perfect number 10. But I think with this squad... It, it just helps to have someone with quality and helps to have someone with energy. Vancouver don't, don't really have, Brian White's been playing a lot of the number nine for them, and he's not really a, a run in behind kind of guy. Diber Caicedo, another move they made before the season started, he's been starting a lot out wide. He's more of a get me the ball and I'm going to dribble rather than a, I'm going to run in behind. So it, it's possible that they don't even really have as many of those runs moving in behind. I just like this move because I think it elevates Vancouver. They need talent. If at this point in Major League Soccer and in, in the, stat, the status of the league, if you're not elevating yourself, if you're not bringing in players like this, 
you're yeah. falling behind. And Vancouver have been falling behind. And I think this is a good step for them to bring in someone like this who, yes, might over dribble sometimes, might be a bit too reliant on his left foot at other times. But defensively, he can contribute. And that's good because the Whitecaps are playing against the ball a lot. He's, he's ready to dribble and draw, draw players in with that dribbling and then dish the ball off and just play a simple pass forward to create space for Caicedo or for Dahomey out wide or for Brian White or whoever's playing as that nine. I, I think there's a lot to like about this move. And he was really, really good off the bench against the Galaxy. Super small sample size, but yeah. it left me wanting more of Ryan Gold. Mm, hey, we got to like that, right? <laughs> Yes, we do. With wanting more, and good move by Vancouver. And I, I love that what you said there. Just especially, I mean, I think we saw really in this transfer window just the elevation of so many teams saying, "All right, we gotta spend. We gotta stay in this. We gotta spend. Whether it's within MLS or outside, we need to drop some dollar bills." And um, we saw that with my next pick. We're Ooh, ready to move on. Go on. Yes. Do you like that transition? <laughs> that was good. That was good. Um, okay. I'm going to Atlanta United. They got another DP, which, uh, seems crazy. I, I was talking to Jillian Sakovitz and she said it's their, it's their eighth DP that they've had already in their short tenure as a, <laughs> as a club, which is a, incredible, I think. Um, they went to League One Leal and they are, they went to League One Leal and found a forward. Luis Araujo, a Brazilian player. Yeah. And um, $12 million transfer fee for this player, um, which there's the dollar bills that they're dropping around. And to think about what Atlanta has gone through, it kind of is surprising to me that they bring a player in when they're in such turmoil and they don't really know who their coach is going to be. It just, I don't know how much sense it makes, but... When you watch this player play, you feel like, okay, uh, anybody would want this player. Hmm. Um, Araju is a, they, they list him as a forward. I would say he can play on either wing and he can play underneath a central forward. And when you think about the way that Atlanta plays, they're playing really, they, they line up in their, their match notes as a, a 3-5-2, but it looks like a, a 3-4-2-1. And there's two players underneath that front front player who was Conway in the last game. It's usually Joseph Martinez when he doesn't get a red card. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, I, I think that this is why this is a really good move. He's a left-footed player, but the thing that I notice the most, no matter what, what side he's playing on or if he's playing tucked in centrally, which he's done a little bit more as of late, is he is really good in transition. Ball at his feet, dribbling at the back line, either going himself or finding a pass through to a teammate, slipping that ball through, um, which is how Atlanta really historically has been good. And I feel like they're trying to get back to that a little bit right now under their interim head coach. And it feels like they found have found a little bit more joy. Yes, they're still a possession-oriented team and they can keep the ball, but they've been most effective in those transition moments. He had four goals and two assists in this last season um, when they all, Leo won the League One in France. Um, but he's got that Brazilian flair to him, super good on the ball. It doesn't matter which foot uh, he has, and I feel like he could fit in really well under – in one of those two spots underneath Joseph Martinez next to Barco, um, or even pushing Barco to up his game, which is something that they've always wanted. Uh, he is a, a fun, aggressive, um, strong player, and I like this look bringing him in. So 
I I have thoughts on this move. I have okay. questions about this move and, and some of the same questions that you just voiced and other people have voiced them as well. The timing of this seems mm-hmm. to make no sense to me whatsoever. Um, yeah. Why why you would make this move and spend, well, I think, $12 million? Is that what it was, yes. right? Spend 12. double-digit millions. So spend eight figures or nine, eight figures. Yeah, I can do math. Why Why you would do that now? in your club's life cycle doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Carlos Bocanegra and Darren Eels have been missing more than they've been hitting recently. And they're the ones making these decisions. And so it, it's curious to me that you would make this move right now without a permanent head coach. And maybe Valentino will become the permanent head coach. And maybe he had conversations with them about this. I don't know. But that's that's weird to me. And the fact that you've already lined up reportedly – you're signing for after the season's over in Tiago Almada, I believe, who's another Argentinian attacking player. Where Where is the manager consulting on these things? Where is that that coach? I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. It boggles my mind. Atlanta have done this before, I believe, and it just does not make sense. But setting that aside, I have those concerns Didn't if I'm an Atlanta Barco? fan. I, I think so. They've was done it with someone. I can't remember who Barco it was. Barco or Moreno. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. So yeah. I have I have questions about all that stuff if I'm an Atlanta fan. But as someone who has no stock in Atlanta United, spend, man. Spend that cash. Let's yeah. get a look at this guy. Let's see what he can do. Maybe this is a sign that Barco is going to be sold. Or maybe Almada in the winter is going to be that, that trigger. Because you can't have all these guys. At least I don't think you can. So <laughs> at a certain point. I look at this move and say, great, let's see him. Lille last year in Liga were a very, they were a very defensive team and they often pulled their wingers really back. They played a 4-4-2 and those players would often come back and defend and then really attack in transition. And Jordan, that gets to what you're talking about, about this guy being, about Luis being incredibly dangerous driving the ball forward and incredibly uh, dangerous going forward. I think that's a great look for Atlanta. You just think about that goal that uh, Bello and Barco combined for, right, against Columbus early on in yes. that game. It comes yes. with them breaking out into space. Or, or even if it's not a direct counterattack for Atlanta, you've got Miles Robinson splitting lines in the back and just yeah. pinging balls in between opposing defensive lines. And then you can drive forward from there and you've essentially manufactured a transition opportunity for yourself. So I'm I'm curious. I'm not ready to say this is a good idea, this is a bad idea. A lot of me thinks it's a bad idea, but I want to get a look at this guy, right? There's no reason not to as a neutral, and I'm excited to see what Atlanta have got. It also speaks to Atlanta's ambition to say, okay, we've only won. That was their third win of the season against wow. the crew over the weekend. To bring in someone who can help them potentially continue – well, they didn't know that they were going to win that game, right? But sure. to to grab onto what they've done since um, ridding Gabriel Heinz of his duties and bringing in um, Valentino, but they they I get everything you're saying, but it's also showing from their standpoint. I don't know if it makes the most sense, but they're willing to spend. Yeah. I think that we've always known that about Atlanta, and here is another example. The one thing that I think about too, and this is not just specific with Atlanta. But all across the league, Joe, I don't think we've seen as many Brazilians in Major League Soccer hmm. as we currently have right now. And I am here for it. I like <laughs> these Brazilian players. We, I mean, we've had some, a handful over the years, but New York City bringing in a couple. Yeah. There is one now with Colorado Rapids. Now we have here with Atlanta United. It is, they are start to, starting to find their way to MLS, maybe because they are seeing the potential of all these players and even coming in as DP sometimes then being sold on to the next step as well in um, Europe. So it's, I like it. I like it too, Jordan. MLS is 
they're expanding their reach more consistently of different places yeah. where they're looking for players, and they're also just consistently spending more money. I, I haven't added it up, but I'd be very curious to know mm. the the outgoing spend, like how much these teams have spent on transfer fees, not not salaries or any of that stuff, but on fees, because it I feels like, like when a team yeah. like Vancouver is dropping five, six, seven million on Ryan Gauld. I mean, and then Atlanta's dropping twelve million. I mean, it, the the fees are are boosting, and I think that's a good thing for the league. Being willing to spend is important. Jordan, I'm taking us from one questionable but exciting move to another questionable and exciting move. I want to talk <laughs> about Austin's new DP, Sebastian okay. Driussi. I just said that really fast so that people won't know that I don't really know how to say it. But <laughs> this guy, 25-year-old Argentinian attacker, we're going back to the tried and true Argentinian attackers, not mm-hmm. a Brazilian. Uh, started out with River Plate in Argentina, then moved to Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia and played four seasons with them. That's a big club in Russia, just for context. Um, played in Champions League, play, played some in Europa League. Um, and now has moved to Austin for a reported $7 million figure to be their third DP. So Pochettino and Dominguez, I believe, are the other two designated players. And Pochettino can be brought down. So they don't have three true DPs at the moment, but they can't get another one because of different roster mechanisms and whatnot. So they're rocking with those three DPs as far as I understand it. He made his Austin FC debut on Saturday, coming off the bench in the 62nd minute in that 2 nothing loss to Dallas that Austin fans were not happy about. They were very, very angry uh, about that whole situation. But at least they got to see Driussi come off the bench. Uh, and I, I mentioned it up front. I'm confused by this signing because, Jordan, it seems to me that Austin have needed a number nine for the season, right? And maybe that was going to be Danny Houston, and it, it really hasn't been. Maybe it hasn't been. Maybe that's going to be John Gallagher. And I still have hope, actually, for John Gallagher. They also brought in uh, Musa Gite from, I believe, France as well, earlier in the window. But I thought that Drusi, or, or whichever move they made next, was going to be that number nine. I'm not... I'm not so sure about that at all. I went back through and watched film, and he has played as a nine, almost as a Polito-type nine for uh, Zenit St. Petersburg in Russia, and he did that job well at times. But he's he's played a lot more on the left wing. He's played a lot more as a second forward or a, a number 10. And I, I guess if you're Austin, you're looking for talent, and you want players to fit in those spots. He's right-footed. He's got quality on the ball. He's tricky, good in tight spaces, doesn't move a lot defensively, doesn't press the ball a lot. I, I just... It feels like they already have this guy in Cecilio Dominguez, who plays more on the left wing than in midfield. But the more I watched Driussi, the more I was just thinking, this is just a slightly better, maybe not, probably a slightly better version of Cecilio Dominguez. I don't understand how this fits a need unless he's going to be their Polito, which it doesn't seem like he's going to be right now. I I have so many questions, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, I think of the players that Austin has brought in and we have been I remember doing our, our podcast at the beginning of the season with just who Austin was going to be and sure. their players and who who these new signings from outside of MLS could be for them. And there was excitement around it. And I feel like it just hasn't quite lined up for Austin yet. And I, I know that there's difficulties in building a whole new brand brand new team. But this is your opportunity, you know, and I'm I'm with you. You've had months now to see how your team performs, how te- how those players who you've brought in have adapted to the league and where they're best at. And I know they tried Dominguez as the nine. Now he's he wants to play on the left wing, but you bring another player in who that does confuse me a lot too. Um, if they played with him as a Polito type nine, 
do you believe that it would work for the way that Austin mm. wants to play? I think one of the things that you just said that really is difficult for me to understand, especially with the way Josh, Josh Wolf wants to play, is he's not very mobile defensively. Yeah. And I feel like he wants that out of every player on the field. Poor Alex Ring, man. The, the, I swear, I swear, it feels like he's <laughs> the one guy and Jared Stroud that are just running around all day and covering ground. I think, I really do think Drusy as that Polito type nine would, would work. And so that is, that's the one positive thing here is I, I think that could be a great option or maybe Gita hits and Drusy can play on the left or can play in central midfield. Having depth in those spots is a good thing. I don't want to get, don't get it twisted. That's a good, that's a good roster building thing is to have quality depth. But I mean, the need is the nine right now. And I really do believe that. And so if Josh Wolf is willing to try him there and give him a set of games there, I think it could work. You, you leave yourself in some dangerous spots defensively, but it's, I'm not willing to rule out the fact that that could be a really, a really strong spot for Drew to be in and a really productive player that he could be a productive player for us. And I just am not sure we're going to see that. If you're a goal, if you're a goal scorer at all, and the way that Austin creates, and I mean, it's not as if they're not creating chances sure. in games. I feel like there's been games where you're just like, how are they not scoring a goal? Yeah. So if you have the ability to score goals, and and maybe that's the thing that you're talking about is just a true out and out number nine who can just be in the box and make the right little run to get an enter two off of a defender and put the ball in the back of the net. So if he can do that, if he can get in the right spaces and it seems like you don't have to, I'm not saying you don't have to do a lot, but Austin has created chances. Sure. They just haven't found the back of the net. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this move either. And maybe, maybe (laughs) all this will look really dumb a few months from now or next season. And that's great. I hope that happens. Um, I, I just can't shake the feeling that Austin needed a Bobacy and not Drew C, right? Oh, they needed, man. they need You're that, right. the actual nine. And maybe Gita is going to be that guy. And I could be totally wrong about that. And he could be ready to come in and contribute. I'm just, I'm just slightly concerned about all the pieces not quite fitting together for Austin. But Jordan, the good man, thing is that I didn't even a, think about that. That's a Josh Wolf and Claudio Reyna problem. That's not an us problem. So, uh, no. I think no. we should move forward. Who's your last player, Jordan? My last player, I'm staying within MLS again, a big million dollar transfer fee and um, an additional roster uh, international spot hmm. next year to LAFC for Mark Anthony K to Colorado Rapids. What do I you like think? It. What did you think about this right when it happened? Good, 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 yeah. good, good for Colorado. Good for Mark Anthony K, who was not. He was still playing for LAFC, but it felt like he was being phased out a little bit as Sifuentes mm-hmm. was was rising. And it just feels like, honestly, it feels like getting out of LAFC was the right move um, yeah. with how their team's going. So I think I think this is a good move, especially for Colorado and for Kay. And LAFC get a nice chunk of change in return. Absolutely. That, that was kind of my my first thought was like, ooh, this is going to be fun to see him play <laughs> in this midfield. Uh, and, and Robin Frazier, I, I like what he's been doing this year with Colorado Rapids. They're playing in this... Five three two, which you know really turns into the the, the wing backs are getting high and being utilized. I know I know it's going to look different now with Sam Vines not in the squad, sure. so we'll see how that adapts. But the thing that the reason why I feel like this works with Mark Anthony K is because he's an eight. Wouldn't you say he's an eight as a player? But he has he has the tendencies of being a playmaker in, at the top of the box because of his years with LAFC and playing with the players that he is around. 
he has a da- he has grown in that area of the field where he can thread the right pass through in really tight spots. You know, we've talked so much about LAFC over the years using that Manchester City zone and just getting the right little pass in at the top of the box. And I feel like Mark Anthony Kay has done that really well. And what I've noticed about the way that the Rapids are playing is the two forwards that they're playing with, like in the last game, it was Barrios and Bassett. Well, those players aren't nine. They're not like number nine center forward type players. They like to drift wide. So then there's a channel through the midfield, right through that, that seam in the center. And Mark Anthony Kay can, can really occupy that spot. And you think about him with Jack Price holding it down as a six and Kellen Acosta being that link player. Uh, as one of the eights. And I really do think that this midfield for Colorado will be flying. And they've, they've done really well this season and, um, are sitting in a good place in the Western Conference. Um, got a result against Kansas City at home over the weekend. So I like that Mark Anthony K. There was a, a moment in the game where I really feel like, Joe, this is what we, we think that he can do, right? Mm. It's Colorado building up. It was the 27th to the beginning of the 28th minute. And Colorado's building up through the back, and Mark Anthony K is like floating in between the back line and the midfield line for Sporting Kansas City. And he plays like this. It's not really a one-two, but he plays the ball back into the midfield, and as it's switching, he then runs between that seam at a diagonal, gets the ball back, and then he's dribbling at space and can just slip in Barrios. And that, to me, was like a good indication of, okay, this is going to work because his mobility and his fluidity on the ball when he does enter the final third is so good and there's players around him who then you know Barros is having a good year he can have the the wingbacks flying up I, I really do think that this is gonna be a great move for him I I love this this look for the Rapids that Mark Anthony K gives them and I also love how you described K's position and in, in some of his tendencies he has not been as good over the last couple of years for LAFC his his numbers have declined his 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 performances have just gotten worse since LAFC were at the height of their powers. And that somewhat that extends to almost everyone on that team, really. But I think this move gives him a, a new environment. It gives him a new opportunity to to play and really influence the game in a way that he he wasn't having yeah. a ton of success with with LAFC. I, I love the idea of him floating between the lines a little bit. And I also love the idea of him dropping a little bit deeper. And he did both of those things against SKC. He started as well, technically, he was a left center mid in a in a five three two, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But when Colorado would build up, he would float. He would he would drift forward even upfield and become part of a front three, and it became yeah. this four three three where Lalas Abubakar would step forward out of the middle of the back line, play as a six, and you had uh, the two central midfielders, the two deeper central midfielders for the Rapids as the two number eights now with Abubakar as the six, and then you had Cole Bassett as the the right half space guy. And then you had mm-hmm. Mark Anthony Kay as a left half space guy. So you almost had this box for Colorado. And so Kay was up really high, floating, finding space and playing through balls. He had five key passes against SKC, which I believe was the most that he's had all season long. Then in the second half, uh, Robin Frazier made a couple changes and Kay shifts back deeper and becomes part of a double pivot with Jack Price in a 3-4-3, in a 5-2-3, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. 
And he did both of those jobs, I thought, really, really well. And he can do both of those jobs well going forward. He gives them so much flexibility. Cole Bassett's going to go at some point, right? So this move gives you that extra body in midfield. A, a player that I think is probably better right now than Cole Bassett anyway. So Bassett goes, you get some chunk, you get a chunk of change. And now you have an upgraded midfield to go along with Jack Price and Kellen Acosta. There's just right. nothing not to like about this move for Colorado. Yeah, I agree. Really well broken down and there's just so many of his assets that I think can be highlighted in this. Yeah. Plus he's, plus he's a, he's an aggressive defender, especially sure. like he's good at transitioning and counter pressing because that is what he's done for so many years at LAFC. And so I think that I know that they're playing, sometimes they're man marking centrally and, and it's demanding on these players, but I think that he can fit into this really well. It's a great move. And for LAFC, they're getting money for a player that wasn't playing all that much. I, I We're running long here, so I'm, I'm going to get to my next player, the last okay. player, really quickly. <laughs> LAFC are in such a weird spot right now. It's like, I, I just, I watched some of that game against San Jose, and now Kay's gone. It, it just feels like this team is kind of falling apart, and they, they bring in, I believe, Christian Arango from Colombia to be their new number nine, which I think is a good move. I'm excited to see more of him. But they're not playing, as Bob Bradley would say, our football. They're not playing their football. And and I don't even really know what their football is at this point. I used to know what it is, but now it feels like they're trying to grind out results and they, they just can't even do that. So I, I'm baffled by LAFC right now. I, yeah. I did not expect them to fall off like they have been. But we're not talking about LAFC. The last player I want to bring up is a player coming into the Chicago Fire, an Argentinian central defensive midfielder, someone who's gotten almost no buzz this window, which I understand. He's not as glamorous as a lot of the attacking players, but it's Federico Navarro. Uh, he's 21, as I mentioned, I believe already. I forgot what I just said. But coming off of 52 <laughs> appearances with Tayeras in Argentina's first division and in some other competitions there, a transfer market had the fee for this move for the fire at $5 million. So I don't know if that's the exact fee. Uh, that was the reported fee, the fee that they reported on transfer market. But I mean, that's not an insignificant amount for Chicago. He'll be a young money player for them. That's an important roster spot that you need to get right. Navarro is here to fix some of the Fire's major issues. And and the biggest issue Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of is just them self-destructing in the back, right? Mm -hmm. And them losing the ball in bad spots and then not having the defensive solidity to win the ball back and save themselves. Navarro, if I could describe him in in two words, is defensively solid. He's right-footed. He'll play some simple passes. He can hit a diagonal if you give him some space. But he's a defender, man. He is like, he reminds me of Grigore, Inter-Miami's uh, central defensive midfielder. He's very similar in that way. He's aggressive. He'll get low and keep his center of gravity low when he's entering into a challenge. He doesn't dive in you know, a, a ton. He's just really strong. He's an asset in counter pressure. He's an asset covering ground. Not the fastest guy, but he can get around. I, I love this move. I think he's a really tidy player. He's not, he's not likely going to win you games. But he's going to help you from losing games. And he's going to help stop you from losing games and, and killing yourself, which is what the Fire have been doing, really, really hurting themselves. I think he's a great option to play as part of their double pivot right now that they're rocking under Rafael Vicky in that 3-4-2-1. Sometimes it's a 3-4-1-2. But he's got more defensive presence than Madron or than Jimenez or really any of their players that they have that could play in those spots. I think this is an important move for Chicago. I think he's going to be a really good player, Navarro, for them. Important move because also Chicago has been getting results as of late, sure. which which then you bring in someone who's going to help you on the defensive side. And it seems like a really smart move because I we've talked so many times about, oh, gosh, Chicago, like we we know that this is a good squad and that this squad can 
create results and get wins and it just wasn't happening and you you see that now okay they can score goals and they can keep themselves from giving up anything silly at times but then you bring in this defensive piece does it does it shift around anything in the midfield that wasn't I mean it's it's a kind of a crowded midfield group yeah. of players yeah I mean, I think the biggest thing that Devaro has going for him to get him into this lineup is the fact that he just brings a different skill set. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to start every game. I think if you really want to go full possession mode, you probably play Madron and Jimenez together because they can right. both ping the ball. But if you if you go into a game thinking, man, we're going to be defending a little bit more. We need some solidity. I think that's when you put Navarro into that lineup if you're Rafael Vicky. So I don't expect him to be an every game player or not an every game starter. But the fact that he has different qualities is really big for him. It's going to help him get minutes. And I think it's going to help the fire this season. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to keep going because we've already, we've already <laughs> okay. talked a lot, which was fun. I think it's just this is – this is a hard time of the season, right? Because it's the games can get a little bit of a lull. You're halfway yeah. through. You've you're like, oh, there's still half to go if you're a player. <laughs> it's it's an overwhelming feeling. But to bring in some fresh blood or to mix things up, it's always fun to talk about those things. It is, Jordan. That's really really well said. I think I'm at that point in the season emotionally. So I think it is time. <laughs> you it is got time. It, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. It's time for us to get out of here, Jordan. Thank you as always for joining me. Yeah, thank you, Joe. That was fun. Listeners, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.